Okay, take your Bibles and go to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 7 is going to be our text. And um, so be there. But also have pencil and paper out there. You'll, I'll, I'll be hitting other passages, and you just might want to write down what that passage is if you want to go back and look at it uh, after the sermon's over or something like that. But uh, this is going to be from Psalm 51, and I've titled it, Preparation for Christmas, okay? And I'll guarantee you, nobody has ever preached a sermon as a Christmas sermon from Psalm 51. If you read that entire psalm, you'll realize uh, what it's all about. But uh, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 51 to start out and using those verses, and then uh, we'll just keep it going from there. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray as we go into your word today, may the Holy Spirit just take over. Lord, I cannot give understanding to anybody's mind or heart. It has to be thy Holy Spirit that takes the spiritual things of your word and gives understanding that edifies, that builds them up in the faith and brings them to the things that need to be done, whether it's repentance and faith for salvation, confession of sin, or whatever. I pray that thy Spirit, thy very Holy Spirit, would work in each heart today in a very special way, whether it's here on the internet or on the radio. Lord, I just pray for your special moving in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, some think that Psalms 51, as I said, is not a uh, something that you would have at Christmas. Uh, I could go to how Christmas actually started. And, and really, when you think about how Christmas started and so forth, that's, it's just a little bit different than what we're uh, looking at today. Uh, Christmas is not like today as far as what we say. We look at Christmas simply as the day Christ came. I mean, that's the world, if they even acknowledge Jesus anymore. That's what it's about, is the birth of Jesus Christ. But understand, back in the day, back uh, around the birth of Jesus Christ, as a matter of fact, they didn't have... a a Christmas day. They celebrated the winter solstice. There's a day that they just took that day off, you know, the shortest day of the year. And so they had that day where they would maybe get together and feast or do other things. But that was just a winter sol- solstice. And they would do that. And again, that was back in the time of Christ. Uh, then also they had, usually it was before the solstice, but they would have the festival of Satrina, and that was uh, one of their gods, I guess. They worshiped but the festival of Satrina, which was at, at that same time in, in that time period. So basically, it gave the people, not just in Rome, but other areas surrounding, it gave people a god and a celebration with events that sometimes they not only just got together for meals, but they also gave gifts. Now, not to the extent that we have here with Christmas today to that expense. Although, I, uh, you know, when we talk about Christmas, we're talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. I've told you several times here, and I've even taught it a couple times, that I believe that Jesus was born either uh, late September or early October. Jesus Christ died on when? The day of what? Anybody know the answer? Passover. You got it right. I heard one Passover. Yeah, day of Passover. But 
I believe that Jesus was born on the Day of Atonement. I, I actually believe that. There's a lot of study on that. I've uh, checked with several different uh, authors and things like that, and people that I know that know these things and talk to them, and are just really I'm pretty well convinced of that. But nonetheless, uh, we don't want to worship a day. We just want to worship the person of Jesus Christ. That's the thing that's important, okay? So Christ was born uh, somewhere around that period. Now, uh, Rome adopted it. The Catholic Church, Rome, they adopted the, the birth of Christ as a day that they had those celebrations. And so they made it and called it Christmas. That's where our Christmas comes from is that they made it the day that Jesus came, but it was a holiday. They would all have their thing, so they were going to get all the world or all the people of their world to worship Jesus Christ by doing the same things they do. Now, I don't know what, how it was back then when it comes to uh, gifts and things like that because they didn't have a dollar general. I buy all my gifts right there, okay, but uh, they didn't have it. So, regardless of the day, Christmas was important for all Christians. Regardless, Christmas was important for all Christians, Christians, for it represents when Jesus Christ left heaven's glory to come in order to die for our sin, to cleanse us from our unrighteousnesses, and to make us Trophies of his amazing grace. And that is beyond what I just said, is beyond the world's comprehension. Now, let us go to our text and, and just see why we needed him to come. And perhaps we'll see more importantly that these Christian songs that we have, they're not bad, Christmas songs we call them, and gifts, uh, it's, it, it's not bad, but let us not miss Jesus Christ. His first coming was very important, but let me tell you something, the second coming is going to be even more important. Okay? <laughs> you want to pray for me about this surgery coming up? Pray that the rapture will take place before it does. Okay. But, Let's go to our text here, and, and, and let's look at verse 1. In verse 1, he says, uh, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Now, Psalm 51 is a psalm about the sin of David with Bathsheba. And he is arranging for Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, to be put to death, to die in battle for Israel. As one of his soldiers, he had it set up so that Uriah would get killed on the battlefield, although he was fighting for David's army. It was murder, adultery and murder. But it's important here to see the plurals that are used uh, here in this verse. First realize that when you are asking for mercy, anytime you're asking God for mercy, realize 
that the mercy that we're asking for is not deserved. I can't say, well, God ought to do this for me. I deserve it. I could never say that. Never at any time in my life could I say that. His mercy is never deserved in spiritual things. It's always of God's amazing grace. That is why David requested that it be done by his loving kindnesses, the loving kindness of God. He knew he didn't deserve it, but he knew the loving kindness of God. You see, David knew God. David is a saved man. But it is not only according to God's abundance of loving kindness, that is also the, un- the loving kindness as well as the mercy is not deserved by any of us, but we see it includes not only tender mercy, Rather, a multitude of tender mercies. Now, if you think you don't need that, uh, your thinking is messed up. David needed it. It is not asking for the sin with Bathsheba alone or the murder of Uriah alone, but also for the multitude of his transgressions. They're not all recorded for us of David. But the multitude of his transgressions. He's praying for this. So in verse 2 he says, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now when we call upon God to do that, guess what? He's doing that by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That precious blood that today lies on the mercy seat in heaven. David was used of God to slay a giant. David was used of God to write psalms. He was used of God to come and build Israel and to to build it up, to build Jerusalem up. And to stamp out many sinful ways which the children of Israel had turned to. And doing all of that, David still ended up giving in to the temptation that was set before him. He made sure that Israel honored the law and that they kept all the special holy days and sacrifices. David was a man of prayer. David was a man of worship. He would be badly tempted and tested. And he gave in to it. And the impact affected his family and so many more. Christian, our sin is far more damaging on our country, on our homes, particularly our families. And when those things happen, a godly man can fall 
It can happen to you. But as David did here, do what you're supposed to do. Get it right with God. Get it right with those that you've sinned against. David said in verse 3, For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. When you do something that's wrong, you've done it wrong, you've misled somebody else, you've caused someone else to sin, you can make excuses, you can make excuses all day, whose fault it is or whatever, but in the long run, you know in your heart, if you are truly saved and you're walking with God, you know you're the wrong one and you're the one that needs to go out and make it right with that person. That is God's way. That is God's word. That is God's will. I acknowledge my transgressions. That's plural. My sin is ever before me. That is why we always start. Always start. And realize what Christmas is all about when you start the Christmas season. It was to pay for those sins that you and I have committed. It was providing a way for all mankind to be saved from their sin. But as in sin, this 51st Psalm is showing us one must truly repent and believe. While knowing it's all of God's amazing grace, totally undeserved. As I said, David is a saved man, but he must get right with God now as he looks ahead by faith to the coming of Messiah. See, Messiah hadn't come the first time when he was alive. David was saved because he believed that God was sending his son. He believed that there was coming a Messiah who would die for his sins and raise from the dead. He believed that. They got saved by looking forward to the Messiah. We get saved by looking back to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved, and we're saved the same way He is, by repentance and faith, and by the blood of Jesus Christ is who cleanses us and has paid the penalty in full. And when you think, though, of the effect of His sin, think of what comes down through David's line. Because Jesus will come through the line of David. You see, you've got to acknowledge your transgressions and make things right. David's sin had consequences. It had consequences with his son Absalom, with his top advisor, Ahithophel. Don't, as a Christian, say, well, look, I confess to God, I got it right with him, so hey, I'm all right. I don't need to make things right. What would it have been had he gone to Ahithophel to begin with, who was related to Bathsheba and Uriah? What would it have been if David had taken Absalom under his arms and just said, your dad messed up big time? He didn't make it right with others. Don't wait until heaven 
and the hidden things of darkness are revealed to make things right. Understand also, in the line of David, the line from which he came, there was another person. Her name was Rahab the harlot. You mean preceding Jesus Christ? There was a harlot, there was murderers, there were uh, all these people did these evil things. Yes, there was. But the good thing is, it was a virgin birth, so Jesus inherited nothing of that. Oh, there were bad kings that followed David. As a matter of fact, there were those enough bad kings that it led to the Babylonian captivity. In other words, there were murderers, there were sexual perverts, there were blasphemers of God, which one finds in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. If you read Matthew chapter 1 and see all of those who preceded him that were from whom most, uh, Joseph and Mary came, you see all of those in Matthew chapter 1, and you go back in the Bible and look up and see things in their lives, you'll realize, wow. You see, a line doesn't have to be perfect for a good man to be born or a good woman to be born and raised in this world. They come to this world needing Jesus, and good parents will teach them about Jesus, keep them in God's house, seek to serve the Lord, teach them the Bible, that they too not become a line that passes on evil from one generation to the next generation. We see many lives are changed for God's glory via repentance and faith. Whatever has happened in the past, God is greater than our past. If God did it for many of these that we just mentioned here, Rahab the harlot became a good Christian in her day. If he did this in the past, he can still do it today. No matter how far you've fallen, no matter how far you've messed up, he can change it if you will come to him in repentance and faith. And by the way, if a person is truly saved, if they're truly saved, their sin will always be before them until they repent and make it right. Those hidden things of darkness. Verse 4, he says, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. You see, all sin, no matter who tempts you, no matter who it might be with that you're involved with, no matter who helped you rob that store or anything else. All sin, all sin is evil. All sin is against God. All sin. I wasn't doing it for him to do anything against him. Well, you might not have been doing it to do it against him, but all sin is against God, regardless of how big or little anyone thinks their sin is. It's not only against the ones uh, you've wronged and participated in sin with. 
You've stole with them. You've done drugs with them. You've drunk with them and so forth. And, and when saved people get involved in sin and they don't get it right, you're still saved, but at the judgment seat of Christ, it will be revealed. And everyone that's in heaven will see it. God is justified, we're told here, when he judges. So why not, for Jesus' birthday, give him the gift of repentance and faith? Making things right with God, making things right with others before you leave this world and go to heaven. Make things right. Verse 5 said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. She conceived him in sin, David's mother, because David was the seed of both his father and mother, having inherited the nature from both parents as the seed of the woman and the father, should I say, the man, and the birthing of the woman brought that about. See, David had his mother's DNA, had his father's, his father's sin nature. Mary's nature, I mean his mother's nature of the DNA passed on to him. Therefore, as all of us, every one of us, every one of us in this room, at birth, David received a sin nature from his father and mother. But Jesus Christ at his conception received none of that. As a matter of fact, there's one thing that David received at his conception. He received a spirit just like Adam and Eve, just like every human being on the face of this earth, he received a spirit. Every one of us can be tempted and we can cave in. And then we can blame people, we can blame others, we can blame the devil. It's not the devil that makes you do it. He only tempts. We are the ones who have a free will, but in weakness, we give in to the temptation. That's what happened to David. We are responsible for our own sin. You do have a free will. It's up to us to choose to be right. He says in verse 6, Behold, Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Remember that. He desires truth on the inward parts of your body and soul and mind. In the hidden parts, thou shalt make me 
to know wisdom. In other words, God has provided a way for us to be right, especially since if you are saved, you can get things right, right away with God and man. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, I'm going to go through those uh, quickly here. Verse 6, he says, if we say that we have not sinned, if we, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. Christian, you sin? You say, well, I don't think it's that bad. Jesus' blood was shed for your sin. It caused a human death. It is still, that is the blood of Jesus Christ, is still on the mercy seat in heaven. It's there for cleansing. Although we're saved, this written in verse 7 to saved people, it says the blood of Jesus Christ is still there. It still saves, but it still cleanses after our salvation. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You know, that's kind of like some churches today, taking away standards, taking away the Word of God. They start getting down on standards. That's the person that's in that sin. That person is in that sin. He said in verse 9, if we confess our sins, uh, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, that, that means all. All means all. He can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and so if he can cleanse us from all unrighteousness, then all of our sin can be taken care of as a Christian. But you do need to confess it. You do need to get it right with God. And if there's others involved, get it right with them. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That is when you say, well, I don't think that's a sin. Those are the things the world or liberal churches say. There are some that will say, well, come on, it's not that bad. As a matter of fact, I don't think it's bad at all. It's not that bad. Do you realize that when you say that, you are calling God a liar just by these verses I just read to you? You're calling him a liar. On the day set aside to remember Christ's birthday, let us remember he came to cleanse us from our sin. Even the whole world who he would save if they would turn to him in repentance and faith. You may not think of certain things as sin, but remember, those things that you don't think are so bad, oh, they, the, God won't do anything about that. Just remember, he gave a command that was an imperative command, which means that you will be called into account for it. That is, be ye holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. That includes sins of the mind, of the body, the uh, thoughts, whatever it is. Sin is sin in God's sight. And yet, he's willing to forgive if we'll turn to him in repentance and faith and live acceptable unto him till he comes. 
That is the best way you can prepare for Christmas. But I'm not talking about this Christmas. I'm talking about the coming Christmas. The first Christmas was Jesus coming. The second Christmas is Jesus coming again. He came with a purpose. If you're not sure, if you die today that heaven is your home, then my friend, give your life, your heart and life to him today in repentance and faith. He promised that if you come to him, he would in no wise cast you out. That's a promise of God and he doesn't lie. He would not cast you out if you'd come to him. Now, I want you to notice some things here from the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Matter of fact, I might even uh, read some other verses here, but Genesis 1, 26. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit together. And they say, let, and God said, let us make man in our image. Now, I'm not talking about angels. This is talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. In John 4, 22 through 24, Jesus said, God is a spirit. You worship him, you must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. So understand that. When, we're saying, when it says we're made in God's image, it's not a body. Jesus didn't have a body at this time. He was a spirit in heaven. The Father was a spirit in heaven. The Holy Spirit was a spirit in heaven. And they were putting together how they would create man and the heavens and the earth. And I believe even the angels were made by God. God is a spirit. Throughout eternity past, throughout eternity past. You know, we say, how long is eternity? Well, you can't say how long it is because it goes forever. Forever in the future. So there's no length to how long it's going to be. But eternity past. There was never a beginning for God. He always was. He always is. From everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God, the Bible says. Very clearly. And so he said, let us. You know, us is a plural there. Make man. Make is a singular. So then you have a plural followed, a plural noun followed by a singular verb. Now I'm told in the Hebrew language. When you have a plural noun followed by a singular verb, it makes it of one essence. Of one essence. Plural in Hebrew could be two or more, could be three or more. And then there's also singular. But if dual is two and plural is three, and there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then we understand that this plural is three, not two. It is three. It's not singular. It is three. That means, therefore, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, three divine persons in one divine essence, we call it the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Made people mad. They wanted to stone him. But it was the truth. I and my Father are one. 
we call the Trinity. Oh, yes, they were one. Man was made not after a body, as I said. Rather, the Father made a body for Jesus Christ and gave him a human spirit. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and the foundations of the earth and cometh That is, he cometh the spirit of man within him. He formeth, should I say, I said cometh, formeth. He formeth the spirit of man in him. That's from, by the way, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1. God formeth the spirit of man in him. Every man, when God breathed his, into the nostrils of Adam, who was just a body laying there with a lifeless body and a lifeless soul, the moment he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, a spirit entered into him. And that's when not, uh, Adam received a spirit. He was then spirit, soul, and body alive. When you were conceived, you were given a spirit at that conception by the Father. That simply means any abortion is murder. It's murder. He says in verse 7 there of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and verse 7, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27 says this, The Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. In other words, He gave each of us a spirit at the moment we were conceived. Why? Because that spirit would be in each of us. We'd have a spirit, a human spirit in each of us that God would use. He would know your mind. He would know your thoughts. He would know your actions. He would know everything about you. The candle, the spirit is God's candle and he searches you inside and out. He knows you. God gave that to you. He did it with the thoughts of personal relationship with you after receiving him as your Lord and Savior. Let me share this quickly out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Meaning, that when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, remember there in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, I believe it is. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. What happened? The very Spirit of God, part of that trinity, began to form a seed in Mary. Why would he do that? Because if it came from another human man, it would have a sin nature. If it came from any part of Mary, it would have inherited a sinful DNA. But my friend, the Holy Spirit formed that seed. It was a creation. And then the Father took over and prepared the body. That's why it had to be a virgin birth. 
No sin from a father, no sin from a mother. And so, the father, he formed this child. You know, you know it's, uh, when he used in that word there in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, thou hast prepared me. That word prepared in its original Greek language in which this was written has the meaning to bring to complete fruition. Complete fruition. For the purpose for which it was formed. The Father formed every bit of the body of Jesus Christ over that nine months after the Holy Spirit had formed a, a, a seed within her. He did that so we would have a sinless Son of God who would be a apt, right, and totally acceptable sacrifice for our sins. Oh my goodness, from all of that, from all of that, when he died on the cross, 1 John 2, verse 1 says, He is the propitiation, the entire payment for our sin. How could he be that? He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He never sinned one time. And therefore, on the cross, he is an acceptable sacrifice for us. I couldn't have lived a life that was perfect. But even if I could, which I couldn't, I will, would have still inherited a sin nature. The Lord Jesus didn't have that. The Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son willingly giving himself. Doing it because God so loved the world. And Jesus in his love was willing to go through all that he went through on the cross to pay for our sin. Completion. My friend, you're not prepared for this next Christmas when Jesus comes. You're not prepared for the rapture, certainly, if you're not saved. You're not prepared until you turn to Him in repentance and faith. If you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home, now is the time to turn to Him. If as a Christian, God has spoken to your heart, you need to get some things right. He could come tomorrow. He could come today. Say, so you're trying to scare me, pastor? No, I'm not really trying to scare you. But guess what? You remember the story of Noah building an ark? The Bible says, with fear, he built an ark. Why? He believed God. God said what he was going to do. He believed it. So with fear, he went right after it. But you see, his went on for several years. He was preaching to a group of people that had never seen rain. It had never rained. But he believed God. There's never been a virgin birth outside of Jesus Christ. I believe God. Believe. Believe. Believe God. But you first must come to Him as your Lord and Savior. Are you absolutely certain if you die today that heaven's your home? Let's bow our heads, please. Now, Lord, in a moment, we're going to sing hymn 497. Search me, O God. And really, 
Allowing God to search us and reveal our sin is the first step in repentance and faith and making those things right. Lord, if there's one in this auditorium who does not know if they died today that heaven's their home, may they come today and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Whatever the spiritual need may be in this auditorium today, I pray it be taken care of in this hymn of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.